0: Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay.
1: Welcome to SEM Synergy. I'm your host this week, Mindy Weinstein, and this is our weekly digital marketing podcast. I'm joined by SEO manager, Rob Ramirez, Virginia Nussie, content manager, and community manager, Christy Kellogg like always we have a pretty packed show for you today news broke recently about amazon and a lawsuit against fake reviewers thousand of them really to get a little bit more detail there but that really opens up to a bigger topic about reviews in general so we're going to touch on that today and then later in the show we'll discuss some changes with you and you guessed it regarding google Google's always gives us lots of, lots of things to talk about. But let's first start with the lawsuits that Amazon has filed. So news broke. It was just last week that Amazon was suing 1,000 people for fake reviews. So according to an article on NBC News, they, Amazon was suing people who offered to write fake reviews for a price. So the lawsuit was filed, like I said, last week, and it targets users of Fiverr.com. So for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's an online marketplace where they have all kinds of services offered, videos, um, but apparently fake reviews is one of them. And Amazon, what they found, that people were offering to write good reviews for products that they had actually never used. And even worse, most often when they were posting these reviews, it was it was content that was given to them by the supplier. So by the person who purchased those reviews. So it's, to me, that's pretty interesting because here there's a whole market. That's what I thought was interesting. There's a whole market for fake reviews. The fact that I, that exists is just shows you the importance of reviews. But of course, you never want to have those fake ones. So I mean... In general, I mean, my opinion about the lawsuit—I don't have an issue with Amazon going after those fake reviews because I know personally I rely on reviews on Amazon before I buy any anything. Actually, I just bought something um, twenty minutes ago on Amazon, and I looked at the reviews before I bought it. So, I mean, you want as a consumer to be able to trust them. So, I'm okay with with Amazon going after them. But, I mean, what are what's everyone else's opinions on the lawsuit?
2: Kind of seems like reviews are a commodity in the same way that links became a commodity and you know that never lasts very long
3: yeah i would agree with that and uh, you know yeah i i think we know now that as far as google's concerned right um there's definitely a benefit to having a, a certain amount of reviews um Good, bad, or indifferent, actually. So, you know, for instance, in the SERP, when we're talking about um, local listings, uh, if you want to get those stars to show up in the SERP, you need to have at least five reviews on your profile, on your Google My Business page. And listen, as long as Google has featured these things in SERPs, people have been trying to, uh, kind of generate them, uh, in a scalable way that isn't very honest, obviously. And, and, um, Google's gone out of their way to, to filter them. Uh, Yelp has gone even further than that, right? Their filtering of, of fake reviews is, is pretty legendary and, and something that's a sticking point with a lot of, um, clients that we've worked with in the past anyways. Um, you also have instances where Yelp now has taken to shaming businesses that have gone out trying to solicit reviews, or it appears that they are trying to spam Yelp with, with all these different reviews, which is really interesting, almost taking it to another level. So. It's kind of predictable that Amazon would go this route, especially where there's kind of this uh, forensic trace of the source of the reviews and Fiverr, you know, um, ads up that are, are offering to sell them. Um, and obviously, they're trying to, you know, create a, a good experience for their shoppers. Uh, and I guess that's the main point.
2: It's not really surprising. I mean, 80% of people consult online reviews before making a purchase. That's what Bill Tancer. said. Um, what was his book? He wrote a book on the importance of basically getting reviews. And he keynoted it, at SMX West. He gave us some cool stats, like 80% of consumers consult online reviews and biggest mistake a business makes is ignoring negative your reviews. It's a good practice of online marketing today. And I could understand wanting to kind of cheat the system and get those spammy reviews, but that those kind of tactics never last very long. And like you said, Yelp is one of the most stringent when it comes to to policing their reviews because that is the the whole their whole business relies on people trusting that.
3: Right, and the, the part that's 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 hard about Yelp is that they reward people who use Yelp, right? So you're liable to get filtered. Um let's say I have a really good experience with a business, a local business that I, I frequent. They they tell me, hey, we if you We'd love to get a review from you. Here's our Yelp page. I go to Yelp. I create an account specifically to give them a review. And the fact that I haven't reviewed anything else in my Yelp account means I'm going to get filtered. Whether it was legitimate or real or, you know, none of that matters. All that matters is that I'm not a Yelper. So, you know, that's a little unfair in a lot of people's eyes. But Yelp, uh, they don't have many other choices, right? People who just, like, create an account to create one review, it, it looks suspicious. So they have to kind of filter it out.
4: Another thing that happens is if your review isn't long enough, they'll ask you to write more. I noticed that, so you have to be kind of verbose.
1: Interesting. Well, real quick, I was
4: going to follow up a
1: little bit more on Bill Tanser, because I bought the book. and The book he wrote is called Everyone's a Critic. And some of the stuff that he had in the book, I mean, it's a great book, so I'd recommend it to anyone. It's called Everyone's a Critic by Bill Tanser. Um, I'm sure it has good reviews. <laughs> check. But some of the things that he brought up was that everything is reviewable. I mean, really, like everything, whether it's a book, whether it's a restaurant, whether you're a professor. When I was a professor, I got reviews. So even as doing the training classes, I get reviews. So everything is reviewable. And as a business, you have to be able to roll with the negative reviews. Not everybody's going to love you. I always say that during training. Not everyone's going to love you. Some will, but not everybody because that's just not human nature. So the same thing with products and services. You just have to be prepared for that. And actually, most people trust a like 4 point, I think it's like four it's 4.8 or 4.9 star rating versus a 5 star rating because that seems more legitimate. Again, not everyone's going to love you. So, I mean, that's something I think as a business perspective, it's so easy to get up in arms and you have a negative review. But you know what? I mean, if you can, reply to it. Take it action, just let them know that you're, you're aware of it. If there's something you can offer, something you could say, I mean, do it, but just understand that you're going to have good and bad mixed in there.
3: Yeah. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good example because I mean, if someone were to walk into your store, if you own a local business and complain, um, you would address it, right? You wouldn't ignore it. And that's what happens so often with bad reviews. I agree, Mindy, you should never fear the bad review, right? It's okay. They happen. I think the important thing is to be attentive and to address the concern. And I think when I'm looking at uh, service online, um, if I see a bad review and I see that the owner of the store has responded to it, whether there was resolution um, there in the thread or not, I know that they are attentive enough to deal with things when things go south um and i think that's a big vote of confidence it 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 means that there's someone you know awake at the wheel and they're they're not just kind of um you know giving now obviously if if there's nothing but bad reviews that's an issue in itself right you have to give service good service to your clients and um but the the one-off the every now and again there's a bad experience and as long as you're kind of mindful of that and address it i I think uh, it can be something that's totally acceptable
4: Yes, he makes that point in his book um, that it's okay to have a bad review and not to worry about it, and it's better to have a mix than none. At the last conference we were at,
2: somebody asked a panelist how to get reviews, and they recommended um, certainly if they're in your store to ask them for it. For example, there's an allergist who they give them – allergy test shots and then they have to wait for like 20 minutes before they can get the results and so if there is a time when they're captive your customers and you can just ask them for it they can pull it up on their phone and just leave a review there now put that against um some of the other examples of bad practices you were just talking about such as having a kiosk where people can leave a review i guess that's That's kind of frowned upon.
3: Right. Yeah, Google started filtering those types of reviews because they're coming from the same IP, right? They're coming from the store location. And in Google's eyes anyways, they're looking for the experience where someone had such an experience that they're going to go to their phone or from their home and actually – Leave a review that way, good, bad, indifferent. And that's the other thing. I guess, you know, you can encourage people to review your your their experience. Um, you just can't uh motivate them to review you one way or the other, right? Whatever their experience was, we just want to hear about it, I guess is really the message. And it's important to build it into the, the the flow, the process of doing business, especially for local businesses, you know. Um it is part of uh you know, I, I, I used to work with a business that would print on the back of their seats, a link uh, to their website, um, and a real easy link to type in that took them to a page that would either have a form where they could gather a review right there, or links to Yelp, Google, Facebook, so that they could click on those and go and leave a review very easily. So it's all about making it easier for the customer to go ahead and leave feedback uh, when they're interested in doing so.
4: There's a local business here in town, and I recently received an email from them, and it was like two paragraphs, and it was very upfront and transparent, and it just said reviews are very important to our business. We know our customers love us, but nobody's actually coming online and reviewing us, so if you could take like one minute to write what you think of our store, like please do. And I immediately went and wrote a review, because I wouldn't have thought of it otherwise, and that really simple, honest email was actually a really good tactic, I think. Well, that's a good message they use,
1: too, because saying, you know, they're kind of appealing to your emotions about it, too. You you like them, you've gone to them, hey, help us out, you know, people aren't reviewing us, so they singled you out. I think that was a good messaging, so that's a good example.
4: Yeah. We do need to take a quick break. If you want to learn more about reviews, we have an exclusive interview with Bill Tanser on our blog, so you can go to bruceclay.com slash blog and just search for Bill Tancer and you'll find that post. We're going to turn the conversation to Google um, and talk about a few announcements that are noteworthy when we come back. We'll see you after our break.
0: Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on webmasterradio.fm.
2: Hi, welcome back to SEM Synergy, the weekly digital marketing podcast from Bruce Clay, Inc. I'm Virginia Nessie. And right now, we thought we would turn our attention to some recent changes with Google. Google's always changing, gives us lots to try to pay attention to. And um, specifically, one announcement that was made on October 14th Uh, posted on the Google blog, uh, Webmaster blog, is that um, the prior protocol with spidering AJAX is no longer the recommendation. So uh, on that technical note, I'll turn it over to Rob.
3: (laughs) So it's an interesting evolution of, of Google's position on this. Obviously, Google is always making strides with their bots and their bot's ability to crawl and index dynamic content. Um, they've done an incredible job with JavaScript and pretty much universally now, um, things loaded through JavaScript are are able to be indexed by Google. And obviously, depending on how the DOMs laid out and all kinds of you know technical aspects and you know what kind of file we're pulling the data from, all of these types of things, there's some variables there as well. But but certainly, Google. Is able to see a rendered page the way a user does, and that's really what they're relying on. Um, and they've gone out of their ways to got out of their way to discourage people from blocking resources. Right? Um, they've they've added the fetches Google in Search Console that tool, and that tool goes out of its way to point out whenever there's anything on the page that is blocked that the browser, um, sorry, that the bot cannot see, um, because they're really trying to look for that experience where the bot sees exactly what the browser does Um, and along those lines ajax had always been a problem because of the way it built pages and it's basically a dynamic element that injects content after a page has been loaded initially Um, and google previously had said if you want that content to be indexed you need to give us a static version of the page you need to give us uh, what they called an html snapshot so that we can go and crawl that version of the page and we know um, what exactly is on the page. And Google, with this announcement, is basically saying that that's not necessary anymore, that their bot is now able to tell what it is on the page, regardless of how it's loaded, and you don't need to go through the trouble of creating this snapshot for us to crawl and index any longer. Um, I have my questions about whether that's actually the case, right? Um, there are all kinds of instances, and, and it always seems to be attached anyways to how quickly content loads via Ajax. It seems like the bot um, has a, an expiration date as far as how long it will stay on a page and wait for content to render. So if it hits that... that time period, and it still doesn't have all of the content, it doesn't matter. It'll it'll index what's there and then move on to the next page, basically. And that all makes sense because Google obviously has a finite amount of time that they can devote to crawling and indexing pages. Um, but, you know, this change, you know, they're obviously working towards a world where they can render and index whatever a user sees and that's really at the end of the day where they're trying to take this thing Um, i have questions about pages that are dynamically generated and the url itself doesn't change i mean that's a huge issue and you know a lot of uh, mobile apps used to work like this but you'll have a url at the top of the page you interact with the page and it changes substantially but the url doesn't change so you know Obviously, Google can't index that because it doesn't have a file name to associate it with, right? If you're associating it with the homepage, um, this second version of that needs to have its own address. And without HTML snapshots and without a, a URL structure that progresses throughout the site, there's no way for Google to create containers to contain all of this, you know, data. So I have real questions about, uh, some of the ways, some of the ways that old Ajax apps and old Ajax implementation was done. Uh, obviously, in my opinion, anyways, you still need a URL. Every, every page needs a home. Um, and that hasn't changed, but, a lot of Ajax apps don't create a home for every page. They'll just lay it on top of the page that you're on, and it looks like you're on the homepage the entire time, even though you're navigating through an entire site. Um, so a lot of questions. You know, They were really vague in their blog article, which is really... Um, come to be expected almost But they don't specifically talk about HTML snapshots and retiring Them, how long they'll be honoring them Although I think they do allude to the fact that For now anyways, they're going to go ahead And still consider those and index Them, uh, not giving really a date When they're going to flip the switch Another thing that's frustrating with this is that uh there was a lot of development time and resources that went into developing the HTML snapshot solution. Whole businesses sprouted up around the idea that hey, you have dynamic websites that are not going to be indexable, so we will create static versions of those pages for you on the fly so that Google can index them. And overnight Google basically said that's not necessary anymore. Don't do it. Um so uh you know, in typical Google fashion, changing the rules on Um, This is one of those ones, though, where I think the rule – the writing was on the wall, right? Google has for a long time indicated that it's their desire to see pages the way a browser or a visitor or a searcher will see them, right? When we talk about things like interstitials and like all of these things that they're penalizing now, um, it is all about – giving the bot a version of the site that is different markedly from what a user sees they really want the user experience um, and that's why they visit uh, that's why they developed a headless browser right uh, Chrome at its at its uh, genesis anyways was a necessity for Google to design something that could crawl the internet and see pages as they were rendered to a user not what the bot would see because a bot is kind of a stripped down version of that that can only really read HTML and text um they wanted something that would actually render and process javascript and ajax and all of the bells and whistles that we've come used become used to kind of interacting with they want to be able to index all of that they want to be able to see exactly what the users are seeing so that they know that they're sending them to uh the right types of sites and that those sites fulfill the intent of the query um so you know it's interesting changes i'm not sold that it's um that Google can handle all forms of Ajax. It still needs to be really careful.
1: Well, on that note, too, I was just going to mention, I mean, we do, I know we do a lot of testing, and we'll be watching all of this, too. I mean, so I'm sure we'll have some to report back later on, you know, the weeks ahead. But I think a couple points, I mean, you already mentioned them, but just to make sure everyone caught those, I mean, I'm with you that it's a lot of the user experience. I mean, Google wants to see what the user sees. So we're going to continue to see changes that goes down that road. You know, Google doesn't want spam. They want to know what's on the page. If they're delivering content to a searcher, they want to make sure that they understand what content is on that page. But then the other thing you mentioned about mobile, because that's something that we even talk about in training. You know, we talk about the different mobile platforms. And then when we get to dynamic serving, there's always the, uh, you know, be careful with it. But, you know, I think you still have the issue, like you mentioned, with the URL from what it sounds like. but.
2: Actually, interesting. So it's actually kind of always changing There is a, another parallel that I see. When I was at the session, um, set, one of the sessions at PubCon or maybe it was SMX, but there was a whole session on mobile apps, and I wonder if it's also Google's actions to make sure that they're seeing things. Um, as a user does regardless of whether there is an associated URL is because of app development and the deep linking side Sure, of so I mean
3: that's part of it right you know the the whole idea behind deep linking again another example you have to have a, a URL or some kind of address that you can send a user to right yes. within an app uh, and that's really at the heart of the problem one of the original, original problems with AJAX because of the way they built pages they built them on top of URLs that already existed and the DOM was just changing on top without having a new home. And and that's you know, that's really a requirement, one that they don't talk about in the blog at all. They don't really address that, you know, that every page needs to have its own unique URL. Um, but you have to assume that that's a requirement because, you know, they're, they're, they're everything needs a home and the they apps, need to be able to point and point you to the right page. The right? app space
2: is currently evolving. Like sure. both developers and Google are trying to figure out how am I going to deep link apps and get somebody from a, a browser into the app and that kind of thing. Sure, so sure. I know that… The speaker she said that um, the night before Google had totally updated their guidelines for the best way to get your app apping, apping deep linked um, and with you know they want to link to Apple uh, apps and all this stuff so right now it was to have an html like parallel um, version but but that things were changing on that front really quickly
3: yeah I mean you know the the technology is evolving, so Google needs to in some cases look for a standard and and that's really the way they've kind of worked right. Um, as things evolve, um, Google reacts. And I think maybe with app indexing, they're trying to throw their hat in the ring a lot earlier in the process. So maybe they can dictate the way it evolves. That would probably be nice for them to be able to say, no, this is what we want to do. Um, you know, with them, uh, endorsing responsive design, for instance, that's something they did long after, you know, um, people were developing all of these M dots and, you know, all of these uh, mobile websites, and then they come out and say, well, actually, it'd be better for us if you would build a responsive site so we don't have to crawl two versions of your website, which is really what it's about, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they just, uh, there's just not enough room in their index to have multiple versions of every site that are on the internet. So we much prefer that it's responsive so that we just index it once and then conserve it to both mobile and desktop users. There's talk of a mobile index being created, um, but that's obviously a large amount of resources and something that um, Google might go down that road, certainly because mobile is that important. But there there obviously is uh, other options out there that they're interested in in looking at. And, you know, another thing about the Ajax, you know, you talk about like infinite scroll and these types of things. It's a perfect example. You know, infinite scrolling isn't triggered until a user gets to a certain area of the page and then it'll load the rest of the content, right? Theoretically, a bot can't trigger that event. And what Google is basically saying now is that that's not that important. Don't worry. Uh, Go ahead and build your pages with Ajax. We'll be able to figure it out. But in our experience, that's not the case, especially if there has to be some kind of event to load important content that gets you to rank. Um, If that event doesn't happen on first click, you'll, you'll see only a snippet of the page being indexed. And I don't see Google getting around that anytime soon. So as much as Google is saying here, let's let's uh we're changing our AJAX crawling proposal you don't need to do x y and z any longer you really have to be careful with you know just shutting those things off and and relying on that because there's still going to be some questions if your content is dynamically served whether the bots are going to be able to identify it index it crawl it and, and consider it properly
4: that's so much amazing information, Rob. I wish we had time to hear more. I was loving just <laughs> listening to that. Um, well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Please subscribe to the show to get new episodes delivered straight to you on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or your preferred podcast app. For more from our team, visit bruceclay.com blog. Right now, we've got a goldmine of information from experts who presented at SMX East and PubCon. Have a great week and see you next time on SEM Synergy.